The reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 2, but different parts of the chapter. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, the disciples were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Peter addresses the crowd. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. The Fellowship of the Believers They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, thank you, Rosemary. Well, why don't we just share with someone next to us what was the highlight of our week? It's been a nice sunny week, hasn't it? And just share what you most enjoyed this week.
Okay. Okay, so you all seem to enjoy that. Looks like there have been some highlights of the week. Anyone want to shout anything out that you particularly enjoyed? Karen? Great. So Karen went on a, on a great conference up in Leeds. Over 7,000 women. My goodness, that sounds frightening. Anyone else want to shout out one? Yep. You went to Legoland. Splendid. Yep. Ooh, hoopla game. Sounds good. Yeah, one at the back, Becca. Did he? Well, better than his underwear, I suppose. Great. Um, Joe? Great. Oh, yep, Sharon. You went to where? You went to the palace to meet the queen. Was that like a... What was she doing at Crystal Palace? (laughs) The season's finished. (laughs) No, very nice. So a few people seem to have gone to the palace this week, which is interesting. Okay, well, I wasn't expecting such enthusiasm to share your highlights. Do you want to know mine? So Thursday morning, um, in the context of this, I knew my my sister-in-law was being induced. uh, And uh, Thursday morning, I got a call from my brother at 11 o'clock to say, it's been born. It's a boy. And uh, he's called Joseph Thorsten Darwin. I'm not sure quite what the origin of the Thorsten is, but I think she's got Swedish origins. Uh, But he said, there's one really surprising thing we need to tell you, though, Tom. I said, what's that? And he said, he doesn't look anything like either me or Amy. <laughs> but he's a spitting image of you. <laughs> and, and everyone who's seen him has said the same thing. Now, it wouldn't be appropriate to, to discuss that any further, but you can imagine the sort of jokes that have been being made. Anyway, I wonder whether, whether their, well, our experience waiting for this baby to be born, which is um, their first child, so it's something really exciting. I wonder whether their experience waiting for that baby was rather like the experience of the disciples waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because they, uh, my brother and, brother and sister-in-law, they knew something was coming. They knew roughly when and where. They knew it would be special, but they didn't know what. And they certainly didn't know that it would look like me. But the disciples were very similar. They knew something was coming. They knew it would be special. They knew roughly when, roughly where. But they didn't know what it would be. And what did it turn out to be? A, a, a cold sort of blowing wind Tongues of fire landing on them. Then uh, amazing languages coming out of their mouths that they've never known. You know, 20, 30, 40 languages. And then straight after that, that Peter would impromptu uh, preach a sermon and that 3,000 people would come to faith. Thank goodness they had the Holy Spirit. How else would you cope? And yet here's the thing. We have the Holy Spirit too, don't we? Do you believe that? The Holy Spirit transformed that group of 120 people in that house in Jerusalem. And he can transform us too. And yet so often we forget. We live as if we don't have the Spirit. We lower our expectations. 
We see the challenge of a society that's secularising and we think about growing a church and seeing many people come to faith as actually something that's too difficult these days. We lose our confidence and we end up either putting too much pressure on ourselves, thinking that it's us that need to do it, or we do the opposite and stop trying. So this morning, I want to address that and call us to think big again by thinking God By remembering it's his mission, his job. We're just the conduit. We need to see what he's doing and we need to join in. So today I want to make three main points taken from those three brief passages we heard read that will hopefully speak confidence into our witness and our envisioning as a church. And the two, of course, are intrinsically linked. For right at the centre of any church's vision should be the desire for the kingdom of God to grow and people to come to faith. So we're essentially going to do three things in this sermon here today. We're going to look at what happened on the day of Pentecost because it was certainly remarkable. Next, we're going to think about what did it mean then? And thirdly, what does it mean for us? And we'll be finishing with a brief preview of uh, what we believe is God's vision for this next season at St Paul's where the vision team has got to in drafting a statement. And that will be the basis on which we look at all the specific initiatives that could flow out of that tomorrow at the vision night, which we'd love all of you to attend, 7.30 to 9.30. And uh, here's a little uh, reminder of where we are at the vision process. Apologies if you're too far away to read that. But basically, it just reminds us that at various points in this process, we've allowed uh, the whole congregation to input into it, to pray into it, starting with a prayer and brainstorming night. And uh, next, the congregational questionnaire. We had the discussion in life groups. We had a uh, a envisioning morning. And uh, we've had various uh, reports and updates to the PCC. And right now, we've reached the Sunday before the Monday, which is tomorrow, when we're going to share the draft overall vision and where we can start praying and discussing into how we're going to put it into practice of all the different things we could do, discerning which ones are the priorities, and asking all of you which ones would you like to get involved in helping us take forward. So that's the vision evening tomorrow. I'll touch on it again at the end of the sermon. But today we're really whetting the appetite, setting up the biblical context, so that tomorrow we can really engage with what God has for St Paul's in the next three and a half years. So, let's pray. Let's pray that God would bring these passages from Acts 2 alive. Let's pray that he would give us confidence. And let's pray that we would be inspired to go out there, share our faith, and be a community that welcomes those in our community through our doors. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have so many things going for us in this church. Such a great heritage so many gifted people, wonderful facilities, a location at the heart of a large residential area where there are no other public buildings. And Lord, we long to be the heart of this community. We long to bring people in, to find ways that we can connect with them which they are willing to be connected with to us. And might you give us the confidence and the belief that filled with the Holy Spirit, we can naturally, attractively, compellingly share what you've done in our lives and 
invite others to see you work in theirs. So Lord, that is our prayer and our, our dearest wish this morning. Amen. So, on with the sermon. And let's start with what happened, because it was, as I've said, an extraordinary day. And the crucial bit of context I think you need to know is that at festival time in Jerusalem, the population of Jerusalem swelled to something like four times its normal population. And Pentecost was one of those festivals, together with Passover and and various other ones. So I don't know if it was about four or five festivals that people would come into Jerusalem for. Israel itself isn't that big, so it was realistic to come to Jerusalem a few times a year. But as will be clear from uh, verse 5, for example, that we didn't read, but which is there in Acts 2, if you want to have it in front of you, verse 5 tells us that actually people had flocked to Jerusalem from every nation under earth. I think that's probably a slight exaggeration. Every known nation, perhaps, Europe, the Middle East, Northern Africa, they came to Jerusalem. And they came if they were Jewish, but they also came if they weren't, but in some way they desired to worship and follow the one true God. Because the God of Israel had become known far more widely as the one true God, a God who had actually given real evidence that he existed. A God who the Jewish people were able to, to explain and compellingly uh, invite others to worship. And they came to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was packed. It was thriving all over the place. And I've been to the old narrow streets of old Jerusalem. And I can well imagine the scene. If the disciples, the 120 of them, including Jesus' brothers and mother, were there in this house. They would have been in a house on a main thoroughfare. And uh, I know what Jerusalem is like at festival time. The thoroughfare is heaving constantly. You know, stacks of people walking past your door. And so you can be sure that whatever noise was going on in this house at nine o'clock in the morning, as the Holy Spirit came, hundreds of people passing by would have heard it. And of those hundreds of people passing by, numerous languages were represented. It would be like being in the Olympic village at the Olympics. People from every nationality speaking their own languages, seeking to worship the one true God. That's the context. And that's why if you can imagine all these people from all the nations that the passage mentions, I mean, there's a list of them, isn't there? Parthians, uh, Cappadocians, Medes, Mesopotamia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Crete, and Arabia. They all went past and they heard the miracle of people declaring praise in their languages, yet with a gruff northern Galilean accent. They knew that these Galileans, largely uneducated, had not learnt 12 different foreign languages. They hadn't gone to a, you know, a school uh, that would allow them to do that. And yet they could hear them praising God. And it was amazing. It was incredible. What did it mean? What did it mean? And I think it meant this. It meant that the good news of Jesus is now good news for everyone. It meant that God is now reaching out to all nations, just as Jesus said he would before he ascended. He said to his disciples, you are witnesses of these things and you will take it to every nation. And this was a sign that that had begun. In this instance, the nations came to Jerusalem, just as so many nations come to us, actually, in England, especially London. 
And yet this was the beginning of a journey that would take those disciples, not just to witness in Jerusalem, but to witness to Samaria and the very ends of the earth. Pentecost and this miracle told them that it had begun. It would be fulfilled. The people of God would no longer simply be those with Jewish blood, though it would be anyone on whom the Spirit falls, anyone who would declare Jesus is their Lord. What an amazing thing that was. It's good news for everyone. And for the disciples, it must have been such a departure. And yet they got it. They got the symbolism of it. They got, for example, that suddenly the Tower of Babel, when the people of the world in their pride were punished by God, by the creation of all of these languages, was now being reversed, showing that God's favour had come. Now all these languages were being spoken by those who did not know them. And the symbolism of the fact that the festival in question, the festival of of Pentecost, was also known as the festival of harvest and the festival of first fruits. So what is it saying? It's saying that God has chosen to send the Spirit to launch the church on the very day that the harvest would go out, that the harvest would be harvested, and the first fruits of the wonderful international community of followers of Jesus would be launched. This was the birthday of the church, and God had done it in a way that just confirmed all of the predictions, all of the prophecies, and all of the Old Testament imagery as well. Because just think about the rushing wind, exactly the way that God often appeared as a spirit in the Old Testament. Think about the tongues of fire. Think about the burning bush or the the pillow of cloud and fire in the wilderness. This was God saying in so many ways, this is me. This is me fulfilling everything I did in the Old Testament. And this is me kick-starting the new covenant and the new community of God. And folks, that includes me and you. So what do we take out of this then? We take out of it that being filled with the Spirit is God's will for every one of us. Because all 120 of them were filled with the Spirit. It wasn't just some of them. And we take out of it that God's will for us is that we would be used as witnesses for him. And that he will take us to the people and the places and bring the people to us. Who he knows are open. Who he knows are ready for the harvest. And we simply need to pursue that filling We need to be willing to speak about what God has done in our lives and what we understand that God has done through Jesus. We need to do it with with love. We need to do it with openness to whatever God wants to say through us. And we need to trust that he will do the rest. That's what we're called to. Pentecost kick-started that for the early church. And Pentecost is the encouragement to us that we too can play our part. And that there's no one that God cannot reach. He connected with all of those people by doing that miracle of the languages. And he connects with people all over the place now by doing a different sort of miracle. Maybe it's a miracle of cultural connection. Maybe it's a miracle of of just common interests or, or common backgrounds that just allows us to connect with someone who, with whom we might not otherwise be able to. Maybe it's a common situation that we're in. God can do it. Whatever the limitations of our situation might be, 
He can use us in some way, even if it's just to pray, even if it's just to speak to someone on the phone, even if it's just to play our part in resourcing our church financially. Whatever we can do, God will allow us to do it. And he wants us to know that he loves us, that he understands us, that he knows us. And there isn't one of us who isn't valuable and precious to him. Well, I want to talk to you now about something else that happened on Thursday. It was the day Joseph was born, but it was, it came, the news came while I was at a wonderful conference um, back in Claygate where I went uh, for my curacy two jobs ago. Seventeen of us went from this church. It was a conference about seniors' ministry. And it was a conference about something that started in the last two months I was there. It wasn't really anything to do with me, but I saw its first meeting and I was involved in the, the thinking and praying that led up to it. And what Connections is, is once uh, every fortnight, they, they basically empty the church of, of its usual chairs like we've got here. And they turn it into little circles and sort of stations all around the place. And uh, once a fortnight, they have tea and coffee and cakes. Uh, they have all sorts of activities going all around the room. Things like a, a table where you, there are people who can help you with mobile phones or computers or things that you want some technical help with. There's other places where you can make bracelets or do crafty things. Places where you can have a hand massage. Places where you can uh, be prayed for. Uh, places where you can play games, board games. Places where you can read the newspaper. Places where you can do art. Places where you can do cooking. All sorts of other things going on. Places where you can go and look at someone's stamp collection or their collection of medals or whatever it might be. And there'll be a thought for the day. There might be another speaker who just shares something about their passion or their interest. It lasts about an hour and three quarters. And it went from the first meeting of about 20, 25 people to now having 120 to 150 older people there every single fortnight. It's phenomenal. And here's the thing. Half of the people that go are not churchgoers. They're not Christians. And yet as they get into this community, that a community where they're welcomed into this, whatever faith or no faith they might have, they're invited to come by, by an individual on the basis that we do fun stuff that you'd enjoy doing. And gradually through word of mouth, it's mushroomed. And they come because they love it. And I got speaking to a guy there who I knew about him eight years ago when I was there. His wife came regularly to the church and uh, she told me several times to pray for her husband who at that time was a very well-known senior journalist with one of the national broadsheets. I prayed for him. Nothing seemed to have happened in response to that in my, the rest of my time there. But I met him on Thursday. She introduced me to him and he told me his story. That a few years after uh, I'd moved on, he'd... Uh, He'd retired, and when he retired, he grew very depressed, and it sank into the deepest depression. And uh, they really didn't know what to do for him, uh, but his wife suggested, why don't you go and offer to move the chairs for this connections gathering that happens every two weeks? He reluctantly agreed, I think probably only because it would get him out of the house. But when he got there, he was just blown away by the welcome that he was shown. He was blown away by the love that the team there showed to him. He was blown away with the joy that, that all the older folk there seemed to be having. And he carried on. 
doing the chairs, moving them, putting them back again. And over the months and weeks that followed, he found his heart being moved. He found the, the leaders there, the volunteer leaders, he started to think them of, talk of them as his angels, as people who showed him there was something more. There was hope. There was someone all-powerful and all-loving who he could believe in. And soon after that, he gave his life to Christ. And to hear him sharing that personally with me and then on the stage later that day, I just found myself so moved. And I found myself realizing that only the Holy Spirit can do that. But actually, he's done it in many, many cases in that place. And I believe he could do it in many, many cases here. I believe he can do it in any church, in any context. All we need to do is to think big, trust him, be willing to do whatever it is he prompts us to do, and to do it with love, to do it with obedience, and to do it with prayer, and to trust him to do the rest. Do you want that in this church? I certainly do. And that's what I believe we can do. That's why I believe in this vision process. We can listen to God and he will speak to us. Because if we can have the next bullet point, it's all about the fact that God does speak. Pentecost tells us that God speaks because he spoke through the languages. It tells us that God speaks because he spoke through Peter's sermon and 3,000 people responded to it. It tells us that he speaks because he gave people the gift of prophecy to speak into individuals' lives, insights and pictures and words that they would never otherwise have known. And if you've ever had someone do that in your life, it it blows your mind, doesn't it? It's amazing. It shows that God is real. But it also tells us that he speaks through visions, through young men, older men, young women, older women. And that means that if you came to that Finding Your Place course, you had the opportunity to discover that God has a vision for your life. And if you've been participating in this vision process for us as a church overall, you have the opportunity to contribute to the fact that God is revealing a vision for this church. So, if Pentecost tells us that God gives vision, then we can be confident that whatever God is bringing out and brings out of this process must be of him. Because there's been far too much prayer going on. There's been far too much prayerful reflection going on. There have been far too many of you sharing prophetic words, sharing your prayerfully given insights and ideas. And as we as a team seem to seek to sift through that and to see what seems to be coming out of it of the Lord, I want to say to you, we can be confident that God's in it. And if we actually all own it for ourselves and seek to live it out, well, then God will do extraordinary things. Do you agree? Okay, so that's how we're to respond. So what's our third point? Steve, if you can just bring that up now. Well, this is about the sort of community that God calls us to be. Within our vision and planning team, one of the members of the group actually really felt that God had put on his heart that final passage from Acts 2 for us just to meditate on as a group. And um, the more I look at it now, the more I realize that actually, if we just copy the early church in most respects at least, we're going to get it right, aren't we? And those words there at the end of of, uh, chapter 2 of Acts are just such a powerful reminder of what it looks like to be a spirit-filled community. Just turn to that 
if you don't mind, while I find my place in my notes. Uh, But it's a wonderful, wonderful passage. So what are the main features then of that community that we see there? Well, it was a commitment to faithfully respond to the apostles' teaching, which for us means we need to want to feed on God's word richly and regularly. It was a breaking of bread in each other's homes. Actually, the reference there is to having meals together, not to the communion as such, but of course both are good. And I think us eating together more is actually an important part of what God wants to do in this church. There was a commitment to prayer in abundance, and we can be absolutely clear that prayer needs to be at the heart of this as well. It was about sharing resources they seem to sell everything and, and share it, more like a sort of commune. And uh, we may or may not want to do that. But what it does mean is that it, we're being generous. We're looking at where, uh, who needs help. We're looking at giving our wealth away to overseas mission, to supporting local mission as well. And we're looking to give generously so that whatever God is wanting to do to grow his kingdom here, it's receiving the resourcing that it needs. And this was a community too that was constantly praising with gratitude in their hearts. And we need to be doing that as well too. And to be honest, I'm seeing that happening a lot already. We are a praying church. We are a praising church. We are a grateful church. And what's the consequences of all these things? Well, it tells us there they enjoyed the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wouldn't you love that to be true for us? Adding to our number daily, even weekly, would be great. 3,000 daily every day might be a bit of hard work, so I don't know how Peter coped with that after Pentecost. But we want to be a community where people are just naturally coming to faith. And what I want to say to you today is actually it is possible. But the key thing is we need to find ways of connecting with the actual felt needs that people in our community are aware of, the things that they know they want, we need to meet with them on that common ground in order to earn the right to build a relationship which might one day eventually lead to us sharing our faith and telling them about Jesus. So let me just use that example again of connections uh, in Claygate. So what do they do? They think, what do people in our community want? They want opportunities to make make friends. They want opportunities to, to do fun things. They want opportunities to learn interesting things. They want opportunities to have coffee and cake. They want opportunities to be able to turn to people who might be able to help them in some of the difficulties that they face. They want an opportunity to be prayed for if that's what they feel they need. And they come and they get it. Oh, and they hear a thought for the day that's short, but it it just sows a seed. And if you offer what they're looking for, they'll come. But they're not coming to church on a Sunday. They're coming to church on a Thursday. But that's still church. We just need to broaden what church is so we get together with those in our community around the shared interests and, and passions that we have and that they have, whether it's singing or comedy or art or playing games or whatever it might be, if it's playing Xbox with other teenagers, whatever it is, If we prayerfully discern things that we could put on both in our building and outside our building, that outside Sunday services might bring more people in so that we can get alongside them, earn the right to get to know them, and then ultimately they might be drawn towards the faith that we have. 
That's exactly what happened in Claygate. 60, 70 of them not from church backgrounds, and yet the vast majority of them have found themselves drawn increasingly into a life of faith for themselves. And that can happen here with young people, with children, with parents, with singles, with people around their, their, their professions or their passions or interests. It's already happening with our seniors' coffee mornings. It's happening with mums and toddlers. It's happening with a tennis club, t- table tennis club. And it can happen in so many other ways. All we need to do is, is recognise we need to do things that are easier to come to than coming to church on a Sunday. But be confident that if we do those things, then one day we might see them here as well. Does that make sense? So I think that's as a community how we can effectively reach out. And I think if we own that together, if we believe that God will give us the ideas, if we ask God to point us to which particular ideas he wants us to play a part in making happen, and then we do it with love, with the most welcoming mentality we can possibly have, if we pray for it, if we, if we make sure that we recruit teams that are strong enough to do it, and we prioritise wisely, I think that we can become a church at the heart of this community. As the only public building in this community, we can become a place that the whole community knows, recognises, and has started to love. So, here's our vision that we felt led to share with you this morning. We can go on to the last slide, Steve. So, here we go. So, this is expressed as three and a half years' time, the end of December the 31st, 2020. This is what we felt led to put as our draft vision statement. We are a vibrant, growing church growing deeper into God, seeing lives and our community transformed. We are doing this through depending on prayer and the Holy Spirit to experience and share God's love and saving grace, planting new ministries and congregations that reach many more for Jesus, developing our people and our buildings into the heart of our community, offering help and hope to all. When you come tomorrow, what you'll find is that that's divided into seven broad ministry areas of the life of our church. And underneath those headings, you're going to see um, loads and loads of detailed uh, suggestions or possibilities that we could pursue, far more than we could pursue at one time. But they are uh, the ways in which that vision could potentially be fulfilled. What we're going to be asking you to do tomorrow is to come at 730 to take the information pack that you can pick up at the back of church or in the welcome area before you leave today. That will remind you of this, remind you of the roadmap of the process we've been on, give you the agenda for the evening. And then what we're going to invite you to do is have a little discussion in small groups around uh, the vision as it's been presented. I'll expand a little bit more before we do that on what some of these uh, ideas might look like practically. Then we're going to go around the different stations of the church to those ministry areas, just looking at some of the things that those involved in the vision process have felt God-led 
to put out there as aspirations, as possible outcomes. And then you're all going to be invited to pray and discuss and to write down on some comment cards which ones you think should be our priority and which ones excite you that you might like to get involved in. So that's what we're doing tomorrow. I want to just now commit the rest of our day and the whole of tomorrow to God that whatever he is doing through this vision process, he would take us several steps forward tomorrow. And most of all, I pray that every single one of us, child, young person, young adult, middle-aged adult, older adult, feels part of it and has a part to play in it. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you speak. Thank you that the gospel is good news for everyone. Thank you that you can fill us with your spirit. And that you can reveal your vision and you can empower your people to live it out and to gratefully see what you do in this place. So Lord, have your way in us tomorrow, that vision evening. And for the rest of this process, that we might become the church you call us to be. Amen. Okay.